There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Ludmilla Oliver joins us in the studio. Drive live. Talks legal. And it's very nice to see you. Welcome back. Good to be here as always. So questions for Ludmilla of a legal nature. It can be real estate. It could be to do with your employment. It could be to do with your legal status, your marriage, whatever it is. Uh, get in touch. I don't know. There are I didn't many know where you were going go. there. I wasn't sure either, but we got there in the end. <laughs> I kind of... Did we? Not really. Uh, nails on the cliff edge or something. That's where I was hanging on, but it's the normal way of this program. Uh, if you want to talk to Ludmilla, text us 4001 via the free app for no money, or you can... And call 423. Pete's already texted in. Pete has. A couple of things from last week as well. We'll come to those. But I wanted to start today, Ludmilla. We are looking at, at some point in the not-too-distant future, a new mortgage regulation law for Dubai, I believe it is in particular. The details are not really out yet, but we have some details that we can discuss. So where do we start? Yes, well, indeed, this is this new mortgage law, once it is issued and it is just in the sort of discussion stages right now, so that's important to highlight, yeah. would only apply to Dubai. So it's only Dubai mortgage law. Now, Dubai currently does have a mortgage law that is dated, if my memory serves me right, about 2008. So it... Um, it, you know, the, the regulators and the authorities have um, have decided that the law needs updating, and this is why there has been discussion about introducing a new law that, in essence, will provide additional and alternative forms of financing or funding. So, at this at present, uh, the Dubai mortgage industry or market is quite limited to just banks. So, only banks can provide mortgages, and only banks can register their right to uh, uh, to a property through the land department. Now, there in other jurisdictions and this is what Dubai is looking at um, other alternatives exist of um, alternative financing for example uh, real estate funds um, and uh, private equity funds uh, who might buy a portfolio of properties and and and, uh, and finance or fund real estate development uh, through these means uh, without resor- resorting to the classical or traditional banking uh, option and uh, right now and then this is the same so the mortgage law is also is um, aims to stimulate or attract foreign investments for example where uh, companies, real estate companies, would come in and invest with developers, and so they will develop properties together with developers, so that developers no, no longer be relying exclusively on the off-plan sales. Because, as you recall, for a while, the Dubai real estate market was in particularly fueled by the success of the off-plan sales, where the investors were paying uh, as developers were developing. Uh, well, that obviously is a lot more. Volatile because it depends on so many more investors. Whereas in other jurisdictions, and obviously this is what we're looking here, if you bring in a, an investment company or a real estate uh, fund, um, they would work with the developer and they would commit uh, an amount of money to build particular projects. So they're not not reliant on those many investors. And then once the project is launched and once the project is is built, that they can sell it off to many investors. But they're not relying on the individual uh, contributions. Um, so that's in general what the discussion is about. And um, uh, there. 
there are there are a few other options that are not at least not at this point discussed or mentioned in the, in the news. But I could see that they have been discussed in the past. For example, lease to own, uh, and once again, that's a scheme that exists in other jurisdictions. It's very successful and is very uh, is very um, helpful to um, to let's say first time owners or people who want to buy and have the ability to buy, but over a certain period of time, not immediately, and they don't have, for example, enough funds for a down payment, but they have found property that they like and they know that know that over the course of X number of years they will be able to pay for this property, uh, just not at this at this moment in time. Now, to do that in other jurisdictions, you do the lease to own where you agree on arrangement with the landlord and you lease the property but under somewhat different arrangements where every payment that you make kind of goes towards the down payment and you agree for example in three years time those rental payments which usually tend to be higher than the normal uh, rental payments will constitute the down payment at that point you can apply either for a mortgage or you just you you pay the down payment from your savings so the uh, idea here that's been discussed before, it's possible to do it contractually, but contractually, obviously, that's a contract between the landlord and the uh, uh, the, f- the future purchaser or the tenant, but the contract is, is just a piece of paper until it has some sort of a, an official backing. So right now, there is no venue or avenue to register that particular contract with the land department, for example. Okay. So, But if you could... Then, then obviously that provides security for both parties. And so if, if we did have a system like this, and it has been discussed um, uh, quite often over the years, it would certainly provide yet another alternative source of funding um, and avenue for people to, to, to buy. So revitalizing the sector, because there's one thing we know, if you think the the original mortgage law is, what, 2008, 10 years old, the one thing we do know about the Dubai market is it is a dynamic market. It's a changing market. Indeed. Things have happened in 10 years. There was a lease-to-own scheme uh, probably before that, because I, rem- I remember looking at a property, and at the time it was too much of a stretch. But it was very limited. It was a, a block in, I think, the green community. I th- I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, so, but that, that lease-to-own, it wasn't an actual lease-to-own, so... So the only lease to owns, official lease to owns that we have known about that can be registered with the land department are through uh, the Sharia compliant banks. Right, so okay. when they, when actually, when you get a mortgage through a Sharia compliant um, institution, then you're actually not buying a property, you're leasing that property. So the property is being leased out to you to own in the future. So the lease to own has been discussed in that particular uh, scenario. It's also been discussed uh, through vis-a-vis the developer. So for example, if you am a developer and I have 100 units, I will make my own private arrangement with you, the purchaser, uh, to have the lease to own. But once again, contractually, I cannot register that in the land department and you cannot register in the land department. The property will remain to be in my name and only until you've uh, paid the full price, for example. So there is okay. no way for you to register that interest in addition to my property because right now it's the only banks can do it. Then there's a, one more element that I would I would hope to see the one we do have once we do have this new mortgage law is the, idea, is, is the issue of foreclosure. Closure. Right now, under the current uh, mortgage law, the foreclosure, there is no such thing as what we usually refer to as a voluntary foreclosure. So, for example, I have a mortgage and I no longer can, bu- can, can pay the mortgage for whatever reasons. So, in many other countries, you just 
go to the bank and hand over your keys and say, this is it. I, you, know, you keep uh, the down payment, keep whatever it is I've paid so far and keep the property. I can no longer, I'm walking away. Yeah. Uh, right now, under the current Dubai mortgage law, there is no such thing. So therefore, if the, all those banks who have these situations where people have defaulted on mortgage payments, they the only way that they can dispose of um, that inventory is in fact through auctions. And now auctions can only be done through courts, uh, through the courts or mandated by the courts. So in other words, for a bank, in short, they would have to file a court case for foreclosure. They would have to go through that court case, uh, receive the judgment, and then foreclose on the property. Now, in many other jurisdictions, in the U.S. in particular, because after our financial crisis, obviously a lot of banks were stuck mm. with a lot of inventory. So what banks do is that they create their own real estate portfolio, and then they take over those properties, and then they uh, and then they release them out and manage them. Right now, under the current system, we don't have that option. Okay, so uh, something to address what would be an incredibly lengthy uh, process, uh, I'm sure. That's from the new, or points arising from discussion of the new mortgage law, which is expected soon here in Dubai, as Ludmilla outlines. Questions for Ludmilla, Premier Oliver and Plethka in JLT. Get in touch, 4001 or via the free app of 43-1010. Drive live. Talks legal. That's what we're doing. First question in from Sue, uh, or at least first question on this programme today from Sue. NLT. Yes, uh, this one says, Ludmilla, what happens to the bank loans of a deceased in the UAE? Do the spouse or family inherit the bank loan, the deceased is Muslim in this case? Well, in short, no. Uh, so the loans here are very personal to the person in whose name they were issued. Uh, so generally speaking, that loan is transferred over to the estate of the deceased. So let's say if the deceased actually has some assets, uh, then the banks can, or whoever the um, uh, the creditors are, they can tap into those um, assets, and they will have priority in terms of having those uh, those loans settled first. But they need to actually register their interest. So let's say this, would, if the person is Muslim, so this would go through the Sharia courts and the Sharia system in terms of distribution of assets. So the banks will have, or whoever the creditors are, as long as they are official creditors, um, i.e., those who actually have a license to be able to loan money, um, they would um, uh, they would have to register their interest. And then once the estate is being uh, transferred over to the heirs uh, and they will be paid out first. And now if there is no estate, um, then the liability itself does not transfer over to the heirs. Um, so it basically just kind of fizzles away, if you will. And But even if there is an estate, as I said, which is important to, to highlight, when there is an estate, uh, the bank, it does, nothing happens automatically. It's not like the court will, uh, will require the heirs to disclose who the creditors are and therefore before distributing deciding how to distribute uh, the estate they will pay off all those debts so the the uh, the creditors have to come forward and register their interest for the court to to make that determination and again there has to be enough assets in the estate uh, for them to be paid out if there aren't then the liabilities do not get transferred okay that's uh, the answer sue ahmed joins us on the line ahmed afternoon how are you hi good afternoon i'm fine yourself good thank you good to have you on what's the question for Lud miller ahmed uh well okay um i'm moving to a new apartment uh mid of next month and normally i found one uh, that i like very much and i signed the contract and everything's fine then i realized i might need to relocate from dubai um uh, at the same time, after that I signed the abortion. I was wondering, um, do I still pay the, if I, if I, I would say, breach the contract? Uh, I, I'm not sure if this, uh, the, the reason uh, me leaving Dubai would, uh, would be considered a force majeure, but do I, uh, do I still have to pay the penalty? 
Yeah. Go ahead. So, so, you, so you mentioned two things. One is the penalty, um, and then the other one is basically the sort of the contract. So, the the contract in general, what you're talking about, is the um, uh, it's it's an it's a voluntary arrangement, right? So, you've agreed uh, to to lease this property, and so on the terms that are in the contract. So, number one starting point for you would be to decide uh, to to review the contract and see what the provisions are there regarding early termination. So, but you have a contractual argument, but you also have a practical argument. So let's start kind of start with the contractual legal argument, and then we'll move on to the pra- practical one. And then, um, and so with regards to the legal arguments, so first you have to review the contract because in your case, there is no statutory uh, determination or provision in the law that says, well, if a tenant uh, terminates the contract early, then there is a penalty. So it's not, in, the law does not provide for it. Uh, therefore, whatever penalty is mentioned in the contract will prevail. Well, that is what would uh, govern the contract. So in most contracts these days, uh, that they do have a penalty clause for early termination. So that is your starting point. Now, if... Um, uh, you know that's so that's the legal argument, and obviously sometimes depending on how the penalty clause is drafted, if it is, for example, overly burdensome, or um, then then you can challenge it in the courts in the rent dispute and argue that it's um, it's it's unfair that you should only be paying penalty to the extent that to compensate the landlord uh, for the damage the damages that they have suffered as a result of your early termination. But again, you need to review the contract because there are some contracts that basically do not give you the right to terminate and therefore you may be on the hook for the entire amount uh, so but that's so that's the legal side the, then there's also the practical side and, side and that's the checks so and in most cases I imagine since you've signed the contract you must have issued the checks and so re- receiving the checks back is really I mean that should be kind of your your priority because um, uh, those checks cannot be recalled even if obviously unless you have a court judgments which will take a long time so I would say be mindful of the checks that you've issued because there's no way for you to stop for the landlord to uh, to cash them unless you've agreed on some other alternative arrangement. So the penalty is determined by the contract. Um, but that being said, I would um, I'd recommend that you try to negotiate with the landlord and perhaps offer uh, some penalty unless you think that under the circumstances is not valid. I don't know what, why what the circumstances would be, but because of the situation we you are in and and presumably vicious checks, I would say your best bet is to negotiate some sort of a settlement and be prepared to pay some kind of a penalty in order for you to get your checks back. Ahmed, it's, it's probably worth asking, what's your relationship like with the landlord? Do you even know the landlord? <laughs> You're absolutely right. So basically, no. It's, uh, I haven't even moved to the apartment. Uh, uh, I don't know the landlord. Uh, he's even not even residing in the country. Um, I, would, I, I would just, you know, looking to see if, uh, if me not... Uh, not yet uh, moving into the apartment uh, will have any uh, you know any value uh, legal value I understand it might be easier for the landlord to rent it right away but uh, yeah this is what I uh, was wondering uh, there is a penalty clause in the contract it's not really very high I think it's appropriate but it was just you know wanted to see uh, uh, what are my options well, honestly I uh, think you, fi- yeah. financially it'd be better for you if, if there is if you don't think that the penalty is um, overburdensome I'd say financially it's better for you to just pay it and move on than try to take this RDC and try to challenge the uh, the value of the penalty. I see. Thank you right. very much. Ahmed, good Cheers. to talk to you. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right, and that's Ahmed uh, on the line there. Let's talk to, I think, Sophia should be on line six. Let's talk to Sophia. Sophia, how are you? 
Hi, good morning, you? Good to have you on. All fine here, thank you. What was the question for Ludmilla Sophia? Yes, so the question is that uh, my landlord actually fled the country. I think he had some debt uh, with his company, so he basically disappeared. And uh, I don't know how I can leave my kids <laughs> and uh, how would I do it in terms of trying to recover the deposit. Um, I've been in the same property for five years. Okay, Ludmilla, is that a uh, question yeah, of just going down to the land department or the, the rent committee with the keys? What do you need to do? Uh, well, yes, I think with regards to uh, just just moving out of the property, you want to make sure just to document that you have moved out from the property on a certain date um, and that you've done whatever it is that perhaps contractual you had agreed to do, such as disconnect DIWA, district cooling, uh, and pay whatever other remaining uh, fees that you might, might uh, owe to the landlord. So it's important to document that you've actually moved moved out at a certain time and that you've done all those um, all those steps because we have had cases where people flew back years later and found themselves um, in the thick of a, a criminal case because the land- landlords had filed cases uh, f- alleging that the tenants had never moved out of the property. So it's very, very important, I- irrespective of what the landlord has done and what you believe whether he's ever going to return or not, that you on your end, you protect your interests and you document very clearly, either with the, you know, the, oh, the landlord may have an email address I would hope that he has an email address or with the real estate agency whoever it is that your point of contact has been that you communicate all that um, uh, clearly uh, also you can re- then go to the land department as, as Tim said uh, and just re- uh, return the keys there and just have that um, documented as well um, and I think on that end I mean that's basically all you can do with regards to just the move out now with regards to the deposit I would just manage your expectations uh, the, I understand the deposit is, is money it's a lot of money for a lot of people, but given the fact that the landlord has moved out, uh, it's probably not practical for you to chase or file a court case against the landlord to receive that deposit back because the only person who can uh, give you the deposit would be the landlord. Since the landlord is not in the country, even if you file a court case, it's just not going to be worth your while uh, to have a court judgment if you cannot collect on it. And just from experience, most of the deposits, the value of the deposit, deposits are not significant enough to even justify filing uh, filing. A case even if the landlord is in the country. So I'd say just um, accept the fact that the, the deposit is, is perhaps uh, lost uh, and then just focus on how you gracefully exit from the property so that you have sufficient documentation later on to prove in the event the landlord or the landlord's assignees or, or heirs or whoever comes back and tries to claim additional rent from you. Sophia, unfortunately, that's the advice. Does that help? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Thank right. you so much. Appreciate you coming on. Good Thanks. to talk to you. That's Sophia. Uh, I'm not sure if this is contextual. I've just tuned in. We're going to come to your question around gratuity payment, the smart bail system somebody's asking about. And we're talking legal. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamanova from Yamanova and Plethka. And we have lots of questions to get through, so we're going to mm. crack on. This one is from Christy. It says, Ludmilla, can the employer keep 45 days salary back if you resign before the end of a fixed-term contract? In short, no. What this refers to is the penalty in the event uh, an employee resigns early or uh, prematurely. Uh, there is a, there's a provision in the law that provides that the company uh, can uh, can seek compensation up to a month and a half of salary uh, from the employee for early termination of the employment agreement. Now the law it says that the company can seek compensation 
for up to this amount. It does not give the employer or the company an automatic right to withhold that information. So when you're talking about compensation, it's obviously a subjective exercise. And right away, that means who can who can decide what the compensation is and whether a month and a half or half a month or a month is the appropriate compensation. Only the court can decide it. So in other words, for an employer to ever uh, to ever claim the compensation for that amount, they, they require court order in order to do it legally. Now, that being said, in practice, a lot of companies do exactly that. They withhold that amount uh, automatically. But legally speaking, they're not not allowed to do it. So if it's a significant enough amount, um, just file a complaint with the Ministry of Labor because that is not proper. Okay. Pete has an interesting question here. He Mm. says, for a residential premise, uh, if you're renting, is it safer to take a company check or personal checks from a tenant? Well, I'll tell you, it really depends. My personal advice is that it depends on who the tenant is. So if the tenant is a company, then you should take the checks from the company. If the tenant is a person or an individual, then it should be an individual check because otherwise you have a mismatch. So I think what uh, uh, what Pete is referring to, which is something we see quite often, is that the tenant, for example, is uh, what the company is paying for the employee. uh, But in fact, the party to the agreement is the employee um, and not the company. And so, but yet the check will come from the company. My personal advice, just make sure to, that all the dots are connected. So in this case, whoever the uh, whoever the party that the contract is, the check should be issued in their name. Uh, now, uh, generally speaking, in the past, until this, this at least in Dubai, until the le- uh, recent regulation from the Attorney General, uh, whenever a check would bounce, there was a criminal case. So there were, therefore, uh, there was um, a more immediate leverage, if you will, over an employee um, who, if, if the check would ba- bounce, then over a company because a company, obviously, they have to go to you know, who the manager is, who the signatory is, and so on and so forth. It's a little, uh, there's a lot of more buffers. But as of um, the, this new decree, in, this applies only in Dubai, by the way, any checks that are below 200,000 dirhams, and I imagine this would be the case here, are not subject any any longer to imprisonment. So it's still a criminal offense, but it's the only subject to a penalty. So in this particular case, it doesn't really matter at this point whether the check is in the name of the company or an individual from that perspective. Okay, Faisal says, I'm planning to set up an LLC company, but I have been advised that I should set up a holding company in Jafsa, which will then own a 49% of share of the LLC. This way, I want to change the shareholding. Can I just do that in Jafsa company? What do you think of it? Uh, sure. If if you're talking about the shareholding with regards to the 49% shares, let's say right now the 49% shares is, is owned by you and you want to um, sell the 49% shares, then yes, it's, um, it's easy. It's somewhat easier to do it uh, in JAFSA because it's it just a shared transfer so uh, you don't really have to, to update your documents for example with the Ministry um, of, or Department of Economic Development uh, to show that now there is a new owner um, it's it's easier done on that end but with regards to the other shares the 51% share it doesn't really it doesn't really make a difference because uh, uh, the 51% will always be owned by someone else and in and it doesn't matter what the who the owns the 49% those 51% will always be intact um, so if you were thinking, oh, well, you may want to either split the ownership of uh, your 49%, uh, then yes, ho- 
owning that uh, that in a corporate capacity is easier because then it's just a shared transfer from the corporate side uh, but if you're trying to do it for example to avoid or to deal with inheritance or to avoid perhaps um, sometimes these sort of arrangements are done to buy property that will no longer work because JAFSA does require NOCs from the land department for example and for inheritance purposes it's still JAFSA will require a court order uh, to see who owns um, um the, the, or who the heirs are of um, the owners of the shares, uh, which is probably which is one of the other reasons we've seen companies or individuals wanting to set up this particular structure. Okay, let's get to the phones again. Mustafa's on the line. Afternoon, Mustafa. Yeah, hello. Good to have you on. You had a question for Lud Miller, legal question? Yes, I had the question. Hello? Yep, hi, go ahead, um, Mustafa. Yeah, thank you for taking me. Actually, my question is... Uh, I had the, I applied for a company, like my company just got hired, and uh, and actually they, and my visa is under process, but they told me like your visa is uh, actually under the blacklist, blacklist section, like under process, so I didn't understand about this, so that's why I was calling for, if you can clarify about it. Okay. Uh, sure. Really uh, sure. So this has to do with the immigration, immigration laws and authorities. Um, so if you're not quite sure what it means, the best thing to do is to actually, if you're in the country, is just to go to the uh, immigration authorities yourself and find out mm-hmm. what the issue is. Uh, we have heard every so often uh, certain nationalities. You know, there is um, there is some kind of, I guess, a delay in processing visas for certain nationalities. So it could be that. It could be mm-hmm. sometimes we have seen just clerical um, errors in the system where certain individuals files are mixed up and we've seen that as well and just a visit to the authorities um, can resolve that um, so mm-hmm. your best bet right now is just go to the authorities and find out why um, you know whether there is anything you can do to clear it but once oh, again okay. manage your expectations because sometimes uh, the authorities mm-hmm. will not give you the answer they'll just say uh, we're not issuing visas for you and and just and in that case, know that they are not obligated to give you the reasons. And if they're not giving you the reasons, you just may not know and you just may have to try again later. Mustafa, okay. appreciate you calling. Yeah. Good to have you on. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that's Mustafa on line uh, four. Let's go to line two. Fakhruddin, I think, is on line two. Should be at least. Fakhruddin, good to have you on as well. Thank you, guys. Um, I, I have a question now. Uh, when you when you uh, when you move into any any apartment, you usually uh, g- give the give the landlord a check of uh, whatever amount uh, as a security deposit in case of damages or whatever. Um, now my question is, when you move into an apartment, sometimes you want to hang a few pictures or or, or there's some pictures pictures missing, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that you know you have your convenience to hang pictures. Like for example, I I went to a blank apartment. There were there were no no curtain rods or whatsoever, so I had to do a couple of drill holes uh, on on the window to to make sure I have uh, you know the the place to put the curtain rods and and some some holes to hang a few pictures and you know make it look like a home and not a hospital. Um, now what I want to know is uh, if I if I ever leave the apartment, how how is it uh, justifiable if the landlord? Ask me that you have drilled holes and you have to, uh, you know, pay for the damages. And uh, what 
how do you how do you justify what amount he can ask me for or how much he can sure. deduct for that? It's, it's, it's a good question, Fakhrizi. Yeah, so it all depends on how the contract is drafted. So normally, in the practical side of things, that often deposits are not clearly specified in terms of what um, what damages the landlord is expecting uh, to be able to right. cover from the deposit. Um, so, but so but there could be a separate clause that says that the uh, the tenant is obligated to re- to return the property in the same state in which it was handed over to him. Um, there's right. another issue with that often is that there's no documentation from either side to, to actually show in which state the property was handed over to you. In that case, it will always be the burden will always be on the landlord to show that, for example, they gave it to you without these holes in the walls. Uh, but really, it's, it's, ver- it's very much up to the contract and whatever it is that you agreed initially. So if the landlord says they want the property reinstated to the original state, then you're required to do so. And um, if they want to keep the deposit, if it just says that the, the deposit Deposit is kept there to to basically reinstate the property. Then basically, you have to accept that the deposit would be used for that. But it really is very, very much contractually driven. Fakhrudin, we're heading to the news, but it's been good to talk to you. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. All right, thank you. It's uh, it's a tough one, that isn't it? And mm-hmm. so much, Miller, depends on your relationship with a real estate agent or the landlord or whoever the landlord representative uh, landlord's representative is. I guess uh, that's all we've got time for today. Unfortunately, lots of questions that we haven't got had the chance to get to. Do you want to do one? Yeah, more one very question quickly? about resignation. Uh, oh, Hassan on, asked if um, if the company needs to accept resignation. No, they do not need to accept your resignation. Just make sure you have it documented. That's all right, Hassan. There you go. Very quick answer. Millie Yamalova is from Yamalova and Plaska. As ever, busy. Really good to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.